Good morning again. If you have a Bible, uh, I hope that you would open it to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 2. While you're opening your Bible there, and if you have to scroll to it, if that's your option, then you can do that as well. Um, So the collect this morning, I don't do this every Sunday. I did it last Sunday and I'm doing it today, but it's not every Sunday. The collect this this morning called you to pray for ministers and stewards of God's mysteries, that we may likewise make ready His way by turning the hearts of the disobedient towards the wisdom of the just. And and a lot of this had to do with what the uh, prophets preached, that the Lord sent the prophets to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation. So, um, because it called you to pray for me, I'm going to just want to put a pen in that and ask you again to do that. So, um, one of the burdens that I face in my work as a pastor is I, by nature, am sort of a guy, I like to make people happy. I really do. But that can be bad to always want to make people happy. And especially if you want to follow Jesus and do what he says that you're supposed to do. Um, the balance that I, I'm always like asking God to help me is um, help me learn how to call people to do the thing that you want them to do without being a jerk about it, right? Um, and it's really hard. Here, here's the thing, and I'm, I don't mean to rub this in with anyone, but when I preach sermons that like call people to the carpet, like it's a passage that says, man, you, you need to repent. Like, I can anticipate there are some people who really like those sermons and other people who really don't like those sermons. (laughs) And then when I preach things that are like, man, we need to serve the poor and we need to talk about forgiveness, other people really like those sermons. (laughs) And again, I'm not trying to call anybody, you don't need to think about that a lot, but the reality is certain, we all like certain things about God and other things about God are really hard for us. And the danger is that we would all turn God into who we want Him to be. And so what I, I really would like you to pray for me that I would not succumb to my own temptations to making God who I want Him to be and that's who I share with you. That would be bad for everybody, right? And so please, pray for the people who are called to stand up and deliver God's Word, that they would do it faithfully. It is a hard thing to do. And so I'm genuinely asking you to pray for us in that. All right, with that, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 2. John is a good example for us in this very thing, John the Baptist, because John was called to prepare the way for God's salvation and by fulfilling his ministry, by being faithful to his ministry, by being what whom the person Jesus calls the greatest in the uh, the greatest before him, the greatest man born of women, where does that land John at the end of his life? In prison. In prison. In a king's prison. John has had a royal ministry to prepare the way of the true king of the earth, but where he spends his last days is in the prison of a tyrant king. 
And that is faithfulness. I wonder, and you're supposed to, preachers are supposed to have like on-ramps to slowly get into their sermon, but sorry, here you go. I really wonder for you how you would feel about if faithfulness for you looked like this at the end of your life. Would that be okay with you? Could you say, okay God, I'll live that life if that's the life you call me to live, rejected by pretty much everybody? But that was faithfulness for John. So John is in prison, and he's hearing about what Jesus is doing. He's been preparing the way for Jesus. But he hears, he's getting word about what's happening outside of prison. And you can't blame the guy. He's just, he just wants to make sure that this is the guy, that he's been pointing to the right person. And so he sends word by his disciples. This is um, verses 2 and 3. And he says to Jesus, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And and I really like this about John. Remember, John's in prison. You can imagine he's a little bit frustrated that this is where life has landed him. A little bit disappointed. I mean, that would be human, wouldn't it? But he's still really humble. So, He says to Jesus, are you the one to come? Or should we wait for another? It's not, I'm mad at you that you're not, I prepared the way for you, Jesus. Take care of business here. Instead of doing all these, you're you're doing things too slow for my taste. It's not that. It's, are you the one to come? He's open to whatever Jesus has to say. So still there's this humility even in the question. He's open to what Jesus would say. If you're the one to come, great. I'm okay being in prison at the end of my life. If you're not, I'd just like to know about that before, I'm, before I go out here. <laughs> so, Jesus answers him. He tells the disciples of John, go and tell John what you hear and see. And you might notice, this is Jesus is drawing on Isaiah 35, the passage that was already read for us, about what would happen when the Messiah came. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. Now, uh, actually, I do have to tell you, Isaiah didn't mention that last thing about the dead being raised up. You see, Jesus is adding on to the prophecy. Not only will the blind see and the lame walk, also, John, the dead are going to be raised And then he says, the poor have good news preached to them. Now, I I do wonder, if I was John in this situation, I would be hoping for a yes or a no. Wouldn't you? Are you the one who is to come, or should we wait for another? I just need a straight answer here. Why doesn't Jesus give him a yes or a no? I, I think that it has something to do with the fact that faith in God is not simply about accepting intellectual information. It's not just about a yes or a no. It's about a step that we are willing to take and giving our life to something. You see, this news was going to come to John about what's happening. And what Jesus is forcing John to do is to take a leap of faith and say, okay, you are the one. You are the one. And with you too, you would like answers from God 
to come much more clearly, I'm sure. Many of us would. But what God wants from every one of us in terms of faith is a willingness to take a leap and to trust Him with our entire lives. To give ourselves to Him completely. And so He may not come to you with just yeses or nos. He may not come to you in as straightforward as a, a way of, as you would like. But God has given you enough. Enough so that you could take the leap of faith and put your life before Him. Your entire life. And so there's a question in that for you. Are you giving God your entire life? Are you entrusting your entire life to Him? Have you taken that step of faith? Is, is faith in God more than just this intellectual acceptance? Is it also a willingness to follow Him and to trust Him with everything? That's what Jesus is asking of people. That's what He's asking of you. But then, Jesus adds on something. And this is actually where I want to spend the, the bulk of the time. Jesus says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, Jesus has just said, here's what's happening. The blind are receiving their sight. The lame are walking. The dead are being raised up. And blessed, by the way, are those who are not offended by me. How in the world could someone have been offended by Jesus? He is doing all, all things perfectly right. He is healing people of things that formerly afflicted them. But blessed are those who are not offended by me. Now, I think this is hard for us. We, we don't do offense well in our world, by the way. Um, yeah, we can't cancel people if they offend us. Um, yeah, I, we, we do lots of bad things when people offend us. Um, but I think it's hard for us because it's easy for people today to, to make Jesus into their own image. So I said this a minute ago, it's easy to make God into someone that we like. So it, it we have a Republican and conservative Jesus that we can accept if we like that. We have a progressive and democratic Jesus that we could accept if we prefer that option. Or if we like one more moderate, we have even like an independent Jesus that we could go with if that is our preferred option. I, I, the, and the, I know this sounds silly in a way, but we do it. We pick the Jesus that we like sometimes. And so it's hard for us to know how in the world could Jesus be offensive to us. But this idea of offense is something that the biblical writers end up talking about a lot. So if you do have a Bible, there are even these little letters that we ignore oftentimes that point us to other passages where these things are talked about. So Isaiah chapter 8, in Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah prophesied that the person that God would send as the Messiah would be an offense to His people. And the word offense is actually the word for scandal. It's a word that means that He trips you up. 
He becomes an offense and a stumbling block to you. So Isaiah prophesies that the Messiah to come would be a stumbling block to people. And then you, you may have heard of these passages before. Uh, I'd like to read for you First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, where we're told about this again. Peter says to people, As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, and here we go back to what Isaiah said, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense." So Peter picks up on what Jesus has said, that there would be people who are offended by him, who reject him. But perhaps the most famous place, and I think one of the most important places that this idea is discussed is when Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And Paul says that the cross itself is a stumbling block. You see, this is the place where Jesus can most easily cause offense to all of us. Christians and non-Christians is in the cross. Because in the cross, Jesus is saying to each and every one of us, the only way that you can become the hum a real human being is if I die for you. You see, the cross means that the only way that you can live before God is if God Himself comes and lives the life that you're supposed to live and I'm supposed to live and dies on our behalf. The cross says the, the only way that any of us can have relationship with God is because of grace. Full and total grace. You cannot earn one ounce of favor before God because of how good you are and how hard you work and how well you do at things. The only way that you can come into relationship and receive God's love is through grace. That's it. Full stop. The grace of God. And Many of us, even Christians, can struggle with this. So Christians come into a relationship with God oftentimes, and we, we accept in our minds that the only way this happens is because God is willing to forgive us. But after that, we go on living our lives, and oftentimes we act as if it is dependent on us to make life happen. And it's not only that we act as if our lives are dependent on us, we also treat others as if they have to earn favor from God as well. And they have to earn things from us. We're, we're like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son who is angry at the father for being so gracious to his younger son. 
Many of us behave like this. We treat our spouses sometimes in this way, not showing them the grace that God has shown us. We treat siblings this way. We treat our children this way sometimes. Not treating them the way that God treats us with full and total grace. Forgiveness. This is the way that Jesus often becomes a stumbling block to people. Is because his intent is to show the full and total grace of God and forgiveness of God toward people. Now, at the end of the passage, Jesus speaks against the people who are listening. Again, Jesus, like the prophets, said hard things sometimes. This is verse 16 of Matthew 11. To what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge for you, and you did not mourn. So evidently there was this child's game where they would say these things to each other. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. In other words, we did something to which you should have responded with joy, and you didn't. And we sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. Something that you should have responded to with sadness, you weren't willing to respond to. And then Jesus says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. See, what Jesus is saying here is that his ministry and John's ministry fit together. John preached repentance, preparing the way of the Savior. You need to repent. He's coming. Prepare yourself. Get rid of your sin. Be sorrowful over your sin. But then Jesus came... And he said, forgiveness is here. Come and rejoice. You see, there are these twin emotions that go along with being in a relationship with God. On the one hand, you should be sorrowful because of your sin. On the other hand, you should rejoice with joy inexpressible because God has come and said, I do not count your sins against you. You're forgiven. You see, the kingdom of God is the place where emotions find their true home. Emotions are not bad. They're actually good. We're supposed to respond to God in these ways with sorrow, but also with joy and mercy. But Jesus is saying to these people around him, you're not willing to do anything. (laughs) They have what you could call a spiritual apathy. They're okay with the status quo. Actually, what upsets them the most is that God is coming in and he's rocking the boat. You're forgiving everyone. How could you do this? How could you do this? But being willing to accept grace means that you have the ability to grieve and also to rejoice. To grieve because of your sin, also to grieve because of others' sin. But to rejoice because your sin is forgiven, 
and also to rejoice because God is willing to forgive the sins of others. This is what God wants for us. It's to experience His joy and the freedom of His kingdom. Now, you know, sometimes we talk about when in a moment of shock, especially in a joyful moment of shock, that we need to pinch ourselves to see if we're, it's real, right? I wonder if one way to think about the way that Jesus causes offense is to think if he's still causing us a little bit of offense, maybe that means that we really are trying to walk with him. <laughs> because if you are in no way offended by Jesus, it could be it's because you've made Jesus into your own image. But if you are offended by him at times, the question is, what does that offense do to you? Does it soften your heart? Does it soften you? And do you say in response to that, Jesus, I want to be one with you. So whatever that means, help me to respond to you in the right way. Jesus is the perfect Son of God. And all of us are broken and sinful people, we're, we fail. We're all in progress, in a sense. And until he returns, we will not be perfect. And so in the meantime, as we seek to walk with him, there should be times over and over again when Jesus is causing offense to us. And in those moments, we should be responding, asking that he would show us his grace and make us right with him. And so the question, I think, at the end of all this is, when is the last time that you were offended by Jesus? Is it recent? Have you been offended by his, his kindness and his grace recently towards you or toward others? Are you receiving his grace deep into your life and are you helping others to see that grace too by showing others the grace that He's shown you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You came. We thank You that You came and that You healed the blind and that You caused the lame to walk. And we thank You also that you raised the dead to life, and that you, most of all, were raised from the dead, conquering our sin and giving us the hope of eternal life. And so we want to receive your mercy. All the ways that you would offend us because we are not like you, we ask that you would soften our hearts so that we would receive your goodness and your righteousness and that we would become like you. Lord, help us by your grace. In your name, amen.